week, this upcoming week. And hopefully get a job down here and we see you when you graduate. Um, there we go. So, um, so bless you guys as well. All right. So would you stand with me? We're gonna, I'm going to read um, 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 6, and we're going to honor God's word. I'm going to read it to you guys, and then, then we'll get going. This is 1 John 2, 1 through 6. My little children, I am writing you these things that you may not sin. But if, you want, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So this summer, the message has been really, really simple. We've been in 1 John week after week after week, and the message is simple. God is light, and God is love. John, as he's writing this, I don't know if you ever are reading the scriptures and you're wondering, what is he trying to say? John explicitly says, God is light. He's like, this is the message. God is light. That's really good news, specifically if you're like me and you're prone to wander, prone to darkness, prone to depravity. The good news is uh, you can open up your eyes and find him because he is the light. God is light. The message has also been God is love. God is light and God is love. It's fascinating that John doesn't say God is power, God is authority. Um, God is, he says, well, he says in John, uh, the gospel of John, God is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But here we hear John's message, the guy that we think uh, was the beloved disciple that let his, lay his head on Jesus' chest. He says, this is the message. God is light and God is love. It's good news so far, except for when you overlay both John's writings and then the assignment that we feel like we have for this year. So at the end of last year, Jenny and I on a phone call, we just kind of said, what do you think God's drop it in our hearts for 2021. And we both said, without having talked to each other, cultivate. Cultivate a farming metaphor. As I've said over and over again, I'm trying to go away from being the superhero of the story to being a man that follows Jesus. I'm not the superhero pastor, parent, leader. I just am a dude that's trying to follow Jesus. And so the farming metaphor is really helpful. It's a really helpful metaphor to cultivate, to till up the land, to prepare uh, uh, something for growth which is kind of all what John, uh, the, the gospel writer in John 15, was about, abiding in vine vineyards and fruitfulness. But the assignment is difficult, cultivate, meaning a heart, a lifestyle that loves God with all of our heart, including the, heart, the part uh, that we hide from other people at parties, including the part that we don't tell anyone else about, or we don't confess, that we don't share, or that we get shamed when we do share, we bring it out, the whole, the entirety of our heart, we are called to love God and then love people as we love ourselves, which that part is even difficult as well. Love God, love people as you love yourself, because I know people, including myself, that don't even like myself half of the time, right? So how can you love God and love people if you don't even like what God made? If you don't like who he designed you to be in the womb, he says, look, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I actually made you and formed you. 
I knew all of your days before, and I thought about you. I've never had another David Mass before ever in the history of mankind. You are a mathematical impossibility. And we look at ourselves, and there's some parts we probably shouldn't like because we need to mature and grow. But we, we're called to love God and love people as we love ourselves. This is hard, just in us. But then we get around people, and we see people, and we know that they stink, right? They're just a mess. You are a mess. That's why you're here today. It's, this is not a place for the healthy, but for the sick, because we need a Savior. Jesus said it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but it's the sick. So we're here in part to go get into God's presence and to feast off of his word and fellowship with one another. So the assignment for this year is cultivate. Loving God and loving people, and people can be difficult to love, specifically at, so say, 3 in the morning uh, when you're trying to communicate to your spouse about who's fed whom and what's going on and like who's done the nose Frida and who's changed. It can be difficult to love your spouse. I'm talking about Casey loving me in this instance. When all you want to do is sleep and you're wondering why Jesus has forsaken you in those moments, right? Good. Okay, good. You see the humor there. So as we read in here in 1 John chapter 2, uh, according to John the elder, he says, to love Christ is to obey him. Like how you actually demonstrate your love for Christ is to obey him. Verse 3 in chapter 2 says this, and by this we know that we have come to know him. It's like this is how you know Jesus, like the deep sense of knowing, not like the, I know Troy Aikman. I know that he won three Super Bowls in the 90s and the Cowboys have never been the same since. I, I know him like that, but I don't know him. Which John's saying is like when you know Jesus, this is what happens. This is what happens in your life. You keep his commandments. The greatest commandment, love God, love people as you love yourself, along with the others. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Harsh words, Pastor Jay. Elder John, not me, I'm talking not in third person. That would be strange. I don't like that. If you do it, that's okay. But Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him or her. Hello. Encourage me. I will. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So that is our assignment, to love him by obeying his commandments. Frederick Nietzsche, um, a German philosopher who was a great enemy to Christianity, but he also helped galvanize Christian thinking, he had this to say about obedience. Because, um, you know, how many times you go to your kiddos, you're like, if you love me, please just flush the toilet or whatever it is, please obey me. You just show me that you love me by doing what I say so that we all have sanity. Jesus isn't like that. But when we think about obedience, Frederick Nietzsche actually helps us understand it. He was a great enemy, like I said, but his thoughts galvanized Christianity, Christian thought. He says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is this, that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. Loving Jesus takes a long obedience in the same direction. It takes a long obedience to go backwards and forward, keep on moving forward to say, okay, I'm going to love God and love people as I love myself. The essential thing in heaven and earth is this, that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. So this summer, the preaching effort has been around the cross to help keep that in our mind. Like, if we're going to love God and love people like we love ourselves, we've got to look at how Christ loved. He loved till the end. He loved to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. And with all of the chaos and chaoticness of our, our summers, just in general, but then overlaying COVID, pandemic, race riots, all of these things that have gone on for the last 18 months, we have to be a people unified. And what I love watching about The Chosen is that there's these, these different people from different backgrounds and they don't fit they, at first glance. They're actually opponents. Like they actually don't like each other. In essence, it'd be like a Trumper and a, uh, like a Joe, Joe Biden guy. You know, like they're like called to walk together and follow Jesus together and then love each other with completely different worldviews and upbringings. And so in order to do this, what I've said, let's be united in faith in the blood of Jesus. That's Romans 3.25. So these Sundays, what we're trying to do is what Eugene Peterson described in one of his books. He says, we are here to receive Christ. We preach Christ crucified because Christ crucified gets into our humanity and works into our troubled condition. It receives it into himself, our troubles and our pain, and it becomes the sacrifice that becomes the life of salvation. So the idea of looking at the cross, looking at Jesus in the shame of the cross, we were reminded, man, this is how we are to love God and love people, which is why we're here. Like, why are you here on Sunday? I mean, sometimes when you're to the mamas and the daddies that are trying to get their kids in the car, you're like, why are we, why are we doing this? It's literally a million degrees. They're screaming at me, why are we here? Well, I'm glad you asked. We are here to remind ourselves of who God is, of who we are, and what we're called to do as Christians. If you haven't noticed, I'm saying the same thing over and over again this summer so that we can just repeat it. Why are we here? Because we forget. And we are to remind ourselves of who God is, who we are, and what we're called to do. So a question for you. If we're called to love God and love people as we love ourselves, that flows from the deepest places of our being. How's your heart? How's your heart? How's your affection towards Jesus? How's your affection towards people? How's your kindness towards yourself? How is your heart? Like, is it a place of joy and peace, or is it a place of atrophy and coldness, callousness even? Regardless of where you're at, that's why we're here is to remind ourselves, man, heart, you're made to come alive with the love of Christ. You're made for a deep, wide, intimate, joyful love of God and others. You're made to advance his kingdom, and we forget that so easily. So that's what today's about. Diving into our hearts as we look at God's scripture so that we can have that long obedience in the same direction. So do this for me. Put your hand on your heart. I'm going to pray midway through, because I want us to engage our hearts. So just take one deep breath and exhale. And just ask yourself, how you doing, heart? How are you doing obeying the greatest commandment? How are you doing it? Loving God, loving people, as you love yourself. Just take note of one or two different places 
Just pay attention, that's all. Take one more breath in and out. And everybody say this with me. Jesus, son of David, and then you'll exhale and say, have mercy on me. So here we go. Breathe in, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. All right. So for context, we've been in 1 John. We really don't know who wrote this. Uh, they think it's John the Elder because 2nd and 3rd John, if you just keep on flipping or scrolling, depending on uh, your form of Bible, um, wrote it because uh, 2nd and 3rd John calls himself John the Elder. He's older. He's overseeing a, a collection of house churches uh, in Ephesus, and they're made up primarily of Jewish believers. So they're first-generation believers. And they are, like so many of us and so many churches around the world, going through, surprise, surprise, a crisis. Um, there's a group of people that have broken off from these collection of house churches. They're no longer acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Jesus is Israel's Messiah, nor is he the Son of God. They've got these unmet expectations. How many of you have ever had unmet expectations in your church, your spouse, your school, everyone? Yes. So they're breaking off a bit from this, and then so John's writing into this because something that has started with joy and hope is slowly disintegrating. So what John does before he gets to the message is he starts to give them orthodoxy, right? Thinking. Thinking is hard work. That's why nobody does it, says Henry Ford. And God wants you to think about your thinking and how you get these thoughts into your brain about what you think about God. And so he says, this is the message. God is light. And he's writing these things so that people walk in fellowship, intimate participation, Koinonia, like we've received something together and we're supposed to walk together as we follow Jesus. So he's writing them so that they remain in fellowship with God and with each other. And this is his message. God is love. 1 John 3, 4, uh, 1 John chapter 3, 11, and then 4, 7 through 11 as well. Now John is writing and it's hyperbolic. He's just like back and forth. And when we just read it, he's like, man, you love God, you obey him. If you say you love him and you don't actually obey him, then you're a liar. You're like, wow, that's intense. And John's just going back and forth, and he's very Eastern. He's not like me. He's like, give me a straight line so I can follow your thinking. He's more like the prophets, like, bro, let me tell you about God. He's Eastern. He's metaphysical. He's telling you about the different realms that you don't understand of God's Trinitarian nature. He's writing this deep thing, and it's very hyperbolic. So it's kind of knee-jerk reaction to those who are in a Western mindset. You're like, am I out or am I in? I don't get it. Am I in the fellowship or not? You're reading it. There's a lot of tension that I get. You may not, but that's more an issue with me and my counselor. So back to 1 John. My little children, I'm writing you these things that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. That means the wrath of God, the anger towards the sin, those things that kill us. Sin taking us out of his presence. That's what it means to be angry. It's like a car's coming at us and we can't see it and the driver's drunk. Jesus is angry at that thing about to take the life away from the kid. That's what it means, the, the wrath of God. And it's satisfied on the cross, which is why we've said, let's look to his cross. And it turns it into grace and favor so that you and I are walking in a state of grace and favor. That's good news. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the person you like the least. 
the person that gets under your skin, the person that you think is totally gone. Christ died because he loved them so that they could come into relationship with Christ and with one another. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. And by this that we know that we've come to know him. We obey him. We keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is perfected. Again, you feel that hyperbolic tension where John's just going back and forth and giving these really big extreme statements. And he says, whoever keeps his command obeys him and truly loves him and God's love is perfected in him. As I read this, I was reminding, I was re reminded of um, Braveheart. It's a movie. Have you seen it? There's this guy named Robert the Bruce, and he's kind of torn between the kingdom of England and the kingdom of Scotland, and who does he serve? Should he help William Wallace or not? And he's talking with his leprous father about, like, how to play out and strategize and how to be political and how to lead and all this other stuff. And his leprous father is really grotesque to look at, and he basically, his dad tells him, he's like, look, son, it's not that big of a deal if you betray William Wallace and hand him over to the English. He says, all men betray all men lose heart. And then he screams at his dad, yells at his dad. He says, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe. Like, when I read these words, I'm like, Jesus, I don't want to lose faith. I want to make it. I want to believe. But half the time, I don't know if I know you. Half the time, I'm like, I don't know where you are. Half the time, where are you, God? Help. I, I yell, I get angry, I cuss, I have these sin issues that come up from time to time, and I'm like, am I a liar? Am I? It can be exhausting to be human. And so John's like writing this, and it's stirring this up in me. I don't know what it stirs up in you, but I'm like, God, I don't want to betray. I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. I want to love. I know I've tasted and seen I've experienced you. I've seen, God, your love and action for me and for others. I've seen your kingdom advance. Help, help me, Jesus. But this is the barometer. These are the things that we kind of need in our life to remind ourselves, no, 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 we need to look at the cross. We need to look at Christ. We need to look at one another. We need to remind ourselves, no, keep walking, keep going forward. That's how you actually know you're in the light because you didn't quit. You didn't stop obeying. Going back to that quote by Nietzsche, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Like when Peter falls at the end of John, he, you know, he says, you know, Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He says, yes, yes, yes. He's basically saying to Peter, get up, dust yourself off, keep walking. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. We fall off the path. We get back up with one another, with Christ. And we try to keep our hearts soft. Our skin's got to be tough like a rhinoceros, but our heart's got to be as tender as a dove. Loving God and loving people because it is difficult. And this is manifested when we obey him. John 15, 10 through 14 says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments. These things I have spoken to you, says Jesus, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment. This is like not negotiable. Commandment, that's what it's like. You have to do this today, tomorrow, the next day. This is the commandment that Jesus is giving. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, this is not an easy order. He loved naked on a cross. Like, that's how much he loved. He laid his life down for his friends. And that's the mark of the Christian fellowship. So much so that people thought it was a cult the way they loved people in the early church. It was so attractive. It was so incredible. The table was, uh, the playing field was leveled because slaves and, and rich and poor and different races all came together to sit at the table at the bread uh, and of the cup to come together and say, Jesus is the world's true Lord. Let me love you like he has loved me. This is the mark. It is not easy. Can I get an amen? That's the standard. It's not like the, oh, I, I didn't flip that guy off today. I, I did a good job when I was driving. I'm doing so good at loving God and loving people. Not that any of you have ever done that. But like the standard is the cross. This is impossible, right? Amen. It's impossible. So if we're to love God and love people, we must obey him. We have to practice the one another's. I mean, he put it right there in the prayer. Like one of the ways you know you're loving God is if you're making an effort to forgive. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Like That's a way to check your heart. How's my forgiveness? Am I harboring bitterness? Honoring one another, being kind to one another. And then advancing his kingdom, like who we are as a people. We are people that are called to Christ and we're sent. And it's not just so that you can make a buck or go watch the next show or whatever. It's like to actually advance his kingdom. Like that's what we think is that God's on the move and we practice following Jesus together. Therefore, it doesn't matter your vocation or recreation. What you're called to do is actually follow Jesus and advance his kingdom by loving God, loving people, making disciples and helping with the poor. I mean, that's basically the summation of the New Testament. What encourages me in this is that you can't do it alone. I, I'm overwhelmed preaching. Is anyone else? No, don't be overwhelmed at my preaching. Ooh, plus, it's 110 degrees outside. This is overwhelming. Like, that's the call. That's the standard, which is impossible. But the good news is, is we don't do it alone. The best thing that came out of COVID for our church is that we said, we practice following Jesus together. I'm not the pastor anymore. I'm just a guy who knows how to teach, kind of, and preach, whatever. We actually believe that Jesus is the leader. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the head of the body of the church. What we believe is that we, I'm here to teach his word, but we're actually worshiping a person, the son of God, son of man, and we follow Jesus together. Like that's how you're discipled. That's what it means to be a disciple. We are to spend our lives, all of us being apprenticed to him, learning from him. I know this may not be new to you, but I'm like, yeah, I know I need to make disciples, but then I'm like, oh, I have to be discipled by the shepherd himself. Like when we show up at work or at home, we're following the master. Jesus, what are you doing in the room? How do I, how do I respond to it? Like some of that we know from the, his word, but like you, you like envision yourself as being a follower of Jesus. You track it with me? It's like if David was Jesus, we'd all be looking at him, paying attention to him. If he walked, we'd be like, okay, where we go? Where he goes, I go. That's what it means. And like, hey, do you want us to do anything, master? You're here. Yes, I want you to go pray for someone. I want you to forgive your neighbor. I want you to do this. I want you to, like, he'll, he'll speak to you. I want you to sit with me and listen. Jesus, we follow him together. In Ecclesiastes 4.9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Praise the Lord that we get to follow Jesus together. Okay, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Whoever, abide, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
help me out with the pronouns here, John, whoever says, like when we say, I abide in Jesus, that means we ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Make sense? The NIV says this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Do you live in him? Like That's theologically what we believe. In him we live and move and have our being. Do you live in Jesus? Is your life looking like Jesus is, the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So the question I wrote down was like, well, how did Jesus live? I, I, I came up with an answer. I don't know if it's the best one. Well, one of the ways he lived was obediently. He obeyed the Father, which is a trip. I'm like, aren't you the Son of God? But listen to what John says, the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, 434. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Like Jesus is like, hey, guys and gals, you know how I'm fed? By obeying my dad, by being obedient to the Father. He sent me and he gave me work to do. So when we say, man, we're here to obey Jesus, it's like we're trying to live like him by being obedient to the Father, Son, and Spirit. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. If we're going to love God and love people, then that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven becomes really preeminent. I mean, I love doing my will until it gets in my own way. (laughs) I mean, when you build your own kingdom, it doesn't go so hot. Maybe for a moment. I mean, like there's nothing new under the sun. You realize this. This is the temptation for all mankind, humankind, men and women. We're going to build our kingdom. Anyone see Jeff Bezos? And his ladder to the sky, just like Babylon, his rocket, you know, he's the owner of Amazon. He doesn't have a job anymore, so now he's going to conquer the heavens. Like, literally, there's nothing new under the sun. I'm not saying that that was wicked or evil, but you could build, like, literally a multi-billion dollar rocket, or you could feed, like, half of the nation or the poor. I mean, I'm not saying I would do it. I give some of my money to, like, Austin Street or whatever, but I'm just saying the temptation to build your own kingdom is there all of the time. Right. Yes. So we are to be obedient. We are to be obedient. For I have not come, he says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, Nietzsche, the essential thing in heaven and earth is this, that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. Okay. How many of you like wine? Admit it. Haley and I were at a vineyard recently. Haley's my cousin. Not really, but she gave us a good bottle of wine, and it got me thinking about wine, and then I actually read a story about wine because I was thinking about wine, and there's a venter. Those are the guys that you know, oversee the wine. He said this, during the process of producing a good wine, this is what you need to do. The step one is getting the best juice from your grapes. Well, how do you do that? To do this, at certain times in the vine's life, they go for long stretches and starve the vine of any water. You just don't water it. To me, I'm like, that sounds like you're killing it, right? In essence, if you starve the wine of what it needs, water, um, it's counterintuitive until you realize that it develops the best fruit. But it's not about the next immediate season. It's about the season after that, the season after that. Does that make sense? So they want to get the best grapes so they can get the best juice. So they plant it, they grow it, they starve it of water because they're not thinking about the immediate 
season. They're thinking about three, four years from now. When they starve out of water, what it does is it forces the, the roots to go down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil so that it can pull water from the earth as opposed to from the sky or from irrigation. Starving the vine forces it to put its root deep into the earth and search for water. And ultimately, it's the vine with the deepest roots that produces the best fruit. That's deep, metaphorically speaking. So we are called to love God and love people. We're called to get our roots deep into Christ, deep into him. But the questions come to all of us. When the water runs out and there is no affection for God or for others, will you obey him? When the water runs dry and all of your feelings fly in the face of like, where is God? What is he doing? You shake your fists, you curse God, you spit and say, forget the church, forget everything else, I'm out. Or will you let your roots run deep so that you can grow? Because if he really is the vine and the father is the vine dresser, then God's not looking just at your present circumstances, but what he's looking at is a harvest to come. Do you believe? I mean, that is, that's a good word. That's reason to hope. That's reason to believe because even though the circumstances look bad, there is no water. We're not going to bear fruit. Forget the fruit. We're going to die as a vine. He's going, trust me. It's a long obedience in the same direction. This question comes to us from time to time and the circumstances of life, like as we follow Jesus, every once in a while that question comes, Will, am I enough? Jesus asking to you. I know all of the things going on, but am I enough? Is he really light? Is he really love? Is he really with us? Is he really the son of God, Messiah? Is he really coming back? What are we doing? It doesn't happen all the time, but it, it comes from time to time, right? And in those places, it's kind of murky. Moments of doubt, dark knocking of the soul. It happens, right? Some of that's been through that. Say amen. I feel naked in front of the stage right now. Give me a little feedback. You've, we've been through this together. Some of us. You've lived this, right? Okay, good. And so this question, like you'll feel the Holy Spirit prick your heart and be like, am I enough? And the challenge comes for all of us to say yes. Because people fall away all of the time. Those places of affection with Jesus, they start to fade and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done with Jesus, right? You, you see it. Like that first love where you're like, you know, you're first married and you're so romantic and huggy-kissy and all that stuff. And then 3 a.m. with the kids. It just happens, right? So life is going to happen. If he's really our, our, our vine dresser and he starts to delay the things, the questions are going to come. Am I enough? Will you follow me? So, Lauren, will you put this up, the slide, as a John Wesley slide? So John Wesley, who helped found Methodism, said this, and there's a lot of wilts and vows in this one, so I'm going to read a little bit easier version to read. I read this this week, and that question came to me. It's not going to come to everybody today, but someone it might. John Wesley said this. This was a daily covenant that he wrote. Um, oh, that's okay. We'll just listen to this. He says, I am no longer my own, but yours. He wrote this daily. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. 
rank me with whom you will, put me to doing, put me to suffering, let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and display. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, God, blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. He had a yes in his heart. You can lift me up, you can set me down, you can, you can raise me up, I can be rich, poor, it doesn't matter because I am yours. And that is what obedience looks like. And it, you don't get to this place all of the time, but from time to time it comes. Will you say yes to him? Is he enough? Is he enough together is the question. So Jenny, if you would come up, we're going to take communion today. And we've been doing it a lot this summer. And um, when I grew up in, in the Baptist church, we did it like once a quarter. And I didn't really understand it, um, why we did it or, or when we did it. Uh, it just seemed to be a thing that we did. And so with all of the stuff that I just shared, I want us to think about this as we look at communion. Communion makes what's invisible visible. There are literally men and women, boys and girls across the globe that are in persecuted churches that are being put to death for their faith in Jesus, and they're coming together around the cup and around the bread. So it's not just about us. We follow Jesus together. The church is all of the saints throughout all time, backwards and forwards. And somehow in these moments, it makes what's invisible, the saints and the angels, the cloud of witnesses that are with us together are here at the table. That's really exciting. Who doesn't like a party? Not only that, it sets us in the correct story. We look back at Christ's death and it centers us in the light and love supremely manifested in the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it sets us looking back at his, 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 his death on the cross and forward to saying he's coming back. And for all my rebels out there that love to break the rules, this is the most rule-breaking meal that you can ever partake in. It's a defiant declaration that there is another way to live, that you're not going to build your ladder to the sky but you're gonna let Christ be all in all to you. It's a defiant declaration, the way of the cross. We follow a crucified and resurrected Lord of heaven and earth now, and we've got to be reminded of that for ourselves, for our souls, and for the harvest. So, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for y'all, to his disciples and to us. Because we are disciples of Jesus. He's saying, Kyle and Izzy, this is my body for y'all. For the Kubiaks, for the thing, it's for, it's for us. This is his body broken for us so that we could enter into his presence. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So do the creakly, creaky noises. Get the little wafer out. See if you can envision yourself. Take that little wafer. See if you can envision yourself 
at the table with the disciples, looking at Jesus. It's almost like if you're transported in these clothes, sitting there with all these first century Jewish guys around the table, and he looks knowingly at you. Like he's not surprised that you're there. And he says, this is my body broken for you. When you take this, do this in remembrance of me, of my love for you, my death for you, my resurrection for you, my life for you, my purpose for you, my joy for you, my hope for you. He says, death cannot stop me from coming after you. Remember me. Take in a moment, just thank him and take the wafer of the bread. And with your eyes closed, keep envisioning yourself at the table of Jesus, just as you are right now, and not as you should be in first century clothes and all holy and all that other stuff, just as you are. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now remember, they're very Jewish, so this is kind of strange to us. But blood represents a covenant. It represents presence. Presence of God and purpose for these people. This cup is the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So take a moment and envision Jesus pouring a glass of wine, swirling it around a bit, smelling it, saying, this is the new covenant. There's a new way for you to be with me, to be with each other. It's my shed blood. And again, he looks at you, the person wearing first or, you know, 20th century clothes in the first century, and says, this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, with joy in his eyes, with hope in his eyes. He's like, this is just what you needed to be reintegrated into my presence and into the purpose for which I've created you. So take a moment to thank Jesus and take the juice. One last heart checkup. My father always said, um, you know, if, if I died tonight, no, I love you. Thank you, Dad. But one of the best phrases he ever said was, I want you to leave in peace and not pieces. So put your hand on your heart and just take stock one more time. Having heard um, worship, heard the word of God, how is your heart? Is it moving more towards peace? Or are there still some pieces? Yeah, of course. Or is it moving towards the pieces part? Just ask the question of Jesus, how are you coming to me? Do you believe he's actually alive? He speaks. He's spoken through his word. Jesus, how are you coming to us as individuals and as a body? Just take notice for a moment.
then finally, just tell him if you can, yes, I'll follow you, Jesus, as best I can. We will follow you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, this is what I want to do to close, if you don't mind. Um, I want to take a moment to pray over Dave and Gwen as they're going out, um, and then John and Caroline. And so um, if we could, and if you need to go, you're, you're free to leave. Um, but Dave and Gwen, if you could come.